1: Program guests and Craig Roberts not affiliated with Vitucci & Associates. Information provided for illustrative purposes only does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information obtained from sources deemed reliable, but accuracy and completeness not guaranteed. Vattucci & Associates have no liability for information discussed. Consult with qualified investment, tax, or legal professional prior to taking action. Securities and advisory services offered through United Planners Financial Services. Member FINRA, SIPC, Vitucci and & Associates, and United Planners Financial Services are not affiliated. Papaducci
2: says don't invest and forget. Welcome to Don't Invest and Forget, a weekly financial news magazine designed to educate and equip you with the roadmap and direction you need to manage your money. Meet your financial goals and instill confidence in your investment choices on the road to retirement. Your host is author, radio commentator, and investment advisor, Pat Fatucci of Vitucci and Associates. With over 30 years experience in the world of finance and investment planning, Pat specializes in personal and corporate investment management with special emphasis on retirement planning.
3: The experts concede they missed the signs. The feds begin to shrink its portfolio, and consumers wonder if it's that 70s inflation show all over again. Well, in spite of the reruns, let's get a look at what's going on in the world of money this very day as we welcome you to another edition of Don't Invest and Forget, the program that faithfully every week helps you keep your finger on the pulse of your money from Wall Street to Main Street to your wallet. Our host, 30-plus year financial manager, author, and the principal of Vitucci & Associates, Pat Vitucci. Well, Pat, my goodness, Uh, it just seems like deja vu all over again for those of us old enough to remember inflation in the late 1970s, early 1980s. We know the pain at the pump. We're seeing pain at the grocery store. And I guess folks today are wondering how soon before the Fed acts to put us out of our misery, or is this going to be the new normal, at least for the time being?
4: Yeah, you know, looking back in the 70s, I think market conditions are actually a little bit worse this time around. If you think about it, we've got some real fundamental foundational issues. We've got the war in Ukraine, which in and of itself is significant. Ukraine, little did we know before this war started, they are a significant wheat exporter. They export and we import 50% of our sunflower oil. Those two in and of itself, Craig, if you think of wheat being in Lots of food additives, i.e. bread, and certainly a whole lot of other things. That in and of itself could have a fair amount of pressure on inflation. Then we throw in the pandemic as we're coming off, we hope, the serious issues of the pandemic. The fall is right around the corner, so we don't know if we'll get back into some masking or stay-at-home closure kind of issues. But the pandemic is still out there looming, and we're readjusting to a post-pandemic world. Then we toss in a China lockdown who's having serious pandemic issues, COVID issues. Again, a big, big supplier of lots of stuff that we buy at the stores, which is certainly contributing to the supply chain issue. We're not out of the woods on the supply chain issue with Ford just announced the least number of cars they've built in the last quarter. That's got to influence the federal reserve decisions to raise interest rates, quarter or a half point in their June meeting. And of course, all this is resulting in giant inflation. And when you see energy costs, the cost of filling up your tank, and then we'll soon be looking to heat our homes this winter. So we've got some real foundational issues that may make that 70s inflation story look sophomoric. So there's a real concern that we've got some tough-sledding head Jamie Dimon president of JP Morgan Chase kind of the poster child for capitalistic successful systems he's been been the president there for 10 plus years describes our immediate future as an economic hurricane that's not real comforting when Jamie Dimon who is normally a pretty conservative guy says brace yourself for an economic hurricane caused by the Fed and the Ukraine war. So we've got some serious headwinds coming up that is going to affect the stock market. It's going to affect your 401k. It's going to affect your IRA. Where do you invest, given the headwinds that we're going to be facing? Janet Yellen just this week conceded, well, maybe this inflation thing is not transitory. You know, that was kind of the political spin on costs getting way out of line. And so Janet Yellen says, well, maybe we've got a more serious issue on our hands. It should get our attention. The stock market casino is closed. As somebody recently said, we need to look at earnings. We need to look at valuations and weakening financials. Are these stock prices unsustainable? And so we really have to look at is the stock market, the Las Vegas on the Hudson. Because after all, we've had years and years and years of illustrative, beautiful, upscaled markets. And almost anything you put your hands on, you did really well. But here we're pivoting in a significant way to maybe some darker days on Wall Street. The zero interest rate environment we've been used to is long gone we're looking at mortgage rates just a few scant months ago at the 2-plus range. We're now into the 5-plus percent range. Five and a half was the last number I saw. That will kill the real estate market. Here to far, we've seen multiple offers. Even though inventory is very, very low, the affordability index, when it goes from 2-plus to 5-plus percent, has a direct impact on your monthly payment. So we're seeing a giant shift in the fundamentals of the economy, how long this will last. The Federal Reserve will have another meeting this month, most likely vote on a half percent increase. Maybe it'll be a quarter. When will inflation peak? That is the big question. Unemployment favorably remains really low. Wages are growing a little bit, but this whole idea of stagflation, the combination of a stagnant Growth economy and runaway inflation is not a good label to put on this economy. Stagflation is is a problem term. And so you've got the psychology of the market turning very pessimistic from very optimistic. And so when you see that pivotal change, it spooks the average investor. Sometimes people take an extreme case and move all to cash. That's not a good idea. Timing the market is impossible. Time in the market makes absolute sense. Again, it's a rotation to different areas of the economy, whether it's domestic, emerging, global, whether it's large cap, small cap, mid cap. What sectors are you in? High tech, biotech, entertainment. Airlines are doing great. Cruise lines are doing great. How long will that last? depending on how bad this inflation gets. It's really looking at those 50 leading and lagging economic indicators that are really the underpinnings of how we make decisions and not what the Dow Jones did yesterday or what the NASDAQ did yesterday. Really drilling down and looking at the fundamentals to even give you a hint of where this economy is moving towards. And there's going to be winner sectors and there's going to be loser sectors. Just a few scant months ago, we talked about going from pandemic-favorable industries to less-favorable industries hit by the pandemic. Now we're getting into more dividend kinds of growth companies. What companies have control over pricing and those will be the winners because if if you can't control the pricing of your products, and inflation is hurting badly, we saw just a few weeks ago, a Walmart and Target announced pretty bad numbers because they didn't react quickly enough to inflation. And so those companies who has the pricing power to create net 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 good bottom line profits, I think that's going to be the place where our listeners need to consider moving towards. This is a Wayne Gretzky kind of, of environment. Wayne Gretzky famously said, when asked about how come you you do so well, he said, you, you look at where the puck is going and you move in that direction. We also want to look at what companies are buying back their stock. And so that's a good indication in many cases, not every time, of companies you should consider if, If the boards of directors and the executive teams are saying, let's buy back our stock because this correction seems way too extreme and our share prices are very attractive, and let's take all this cash we have in our balance sheet and buy back our stock. So when we get through this difficult period, the return on that investment becomes really attractive. So pay close attention to those companies announcing these giant buybacks and they're always in the billions of dollars range and i think that's key to at least one little hint of maybe some things you should consider
2: pat says don't invest in for God.
3: Forget, and forget. All of us understand, I think, at some point as we're working through our career and eventually looking down the horizon toward retirement, that we need to be actively engaged. That means not just contributing on a routine basis to an IRA or a 401k, but also, as Pat always reminds us, not to invest and forget, meaning you need to actively manage those monies. But along the way, as we exercise that discipline, there are other types of mistakes that we can potentially make that could be extremely detrimental to not just our success at retirement planning, but eventually detrimental to our retirement. We take a few moments now to take a look at the 10 worst retirement planning mistakes to avoid as our host, 30-plus-year money manager, Pat Vitucci, kind of unpack these 10 things to avoid and pat it's not an exhaustive list per se but it's a list that has more commonality with the way most Americans behave when it comes to their relationship with money than many perhaps might have surmised
4: yeah craig you're right you know we put more time and energy into planning our next vacation than planning our retirement okay vacations a couple weeks Retirement could be a couple of decades. And one of the things that we really specialize in when folks come in for that no obligation consultation, we literally create a roadmap to retirement. Writing down a plan is essential. And you would think, okay, it makes a lot of sense. But how many times have you taken the time for you and if you're married, your spouse, to say, okay, what is my lifestyle going to look like? How is my health going to interact with that and look at the debits and credits, look at the assets and liabilities and literally create a plan. And, and it sounds fundamental and it sounds basic, but unless you write it down, the old adage is you don't see that goal. You don't see that plan in place. You're just kind of haphazardly going down the road and hoping and praying you've done all the right things and you're going to have enough money. Do you have enough How much is enough? And the answer is very different for all of us. What is our monthly nut? What what are our plans? What are our aspirations? What are our legacy plans? Do we want to leave money to kids? Or do we want to let that last check bounce? So all those things, having a plan in place is really critical. So where are the wise choices? Let's talk about where do you invest? And it really comes down to your risk appetite. You ultra conservative, you nervous as heck about watching Wall Street and all its ups and downs, or are you really aggressive and you want to be in the latest dot com, or you want to invest in a, a spec, a special purpose type of investment? It really comes down to your intestinal fortitude of putting up with that level of risk, and there are a whole host of different sectors from stock markets and bond markets and utility markets real estate markets, overseas markets, emerging markets. You have a certain sector you're really comfortable with. You are a plumber and you really like the building industry. Okay, then that's your comfort level. You're a real estate broker. You're going to probably tilt your investment wisdom towards real estate. So it's really what you're comfortable with, but getting outside of the comfort zone we think is real important to to diversify into different markets so that you have this ebb and flow of some sustainable kind of income throughout your lifetime. All right, let's talk about the bad news, taxing. We're gonna get taxed on some gains. We're gonna get taxed on income. We're gonna get taxed at the estate level. What have you done to look at the tax implications of what you're doing? There's tax-free, tax-deferred, and taxable. What combination of those three things works best for you? And the answer is it depends on your marginal tax bracket. So your marginal tax bracket will dictate what proportion of your money should be in taxable, tax-free, tax-deferred. You're going to pay Uncle Sam because we live in a great country. you are got to pay for services. And how much of your hard-earned money are you going to have to fork over to Uncle Sam Therein lies that deft touch of creating a tax optimal plan for you and your family so that you give your fair share, but you use every legitimate tax rule in the country to your favor. And failure to do that, shame on you for giving up too much to Uncle Sam. So again, tax prudence is real important. Please, let me emphasize that tax professionals are not a part of Vituci and Associates staff, but we refer to professionals versed in those disciplines. How about health issues? We've talked about all the good stuff and life is going to be great when I retire. The reality of it is some of us will have health issues. How does that affect your profile? Certainly, if you're over 65, 65 or older, you're going to enjoy Medicare. Medicare is a great system. Pretty much takes care of most of your health costs. There's a confusion that some people actually think if I get subject to a nursing home or if I need in-home care, a nurse or somebody to help me bathe or dress, that Medicare is going to cover that. Not true. Long-term care plans, you just mention the word and people run the other way. Oh my gosh, if I buy it, I'm going to probably need it. Obviously that's not true, but the cost of an average nursing home in California today is over $9,000 a month. And if you or your spouse or God forbid, both of you needed long-term care confinement, think of how quickly that can erode even a healthy portfolio. So we always talk about, let's get a quote for that nursing home care, which includes nursing home confinement, medical care in the home by a registered nurse or LVN, licensed vocational nurse, or even just help with bathing and dressing. The bathing and dressing people who come in and help you with some of the basic things in life, they're $25, 35 per hour. So really we need to give some real cautionary advice to look at the healthcare and potential long-term care exposure. We know the social security system is has been kind of the backbone of A lot of our retirement plans. And so the big question is do you take it at 62? Do you wait till full retirement age, 65, 66, and X months, all depending on your age? Or should you wait from 65, 66 to 70? Every year you wait from that year forward, your income goes up guaranteed 8% a year. It's 8% return. That's pretty cool to enjoy that benefit and get a guaranteed upgrade of 8% a year. So if you can afford it, if you love what you do, your health is good. Certainly you want to wait until age 70. Any questions, call us personally at 888-PLAN-WISE. That's 888 A N W I S E, Or go to our website, dontinvestandforget.com. That's dontinvestandforget.com.
1: Papatucci says, don't
4: invest and forget. Forget, and forget. My very special guest today is Dr. Justin Menkes. Justin is the Managing Director of the Executive Intelligence Group and the author of Executive Intelligence, What All Great Leaders Have. This book will help businesses find and train people who can perform at the highest levels. It's also a boon for all employees who want to enhance their abilities and grow their careers. Doctor, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's clear that the demands of business today are far greater than they've ever been. Is there a shortage of good executive talent in this country, Justin?
5: Yeah, I, I interviewed a little over 30 of the most prestigious CEOs, most well-known in the world for this book, and every one of them, I asked that question and they all laughed. And Dick Parsons was probably laughed the hardest he said, you know, it's just like a needle in a haystack. Uh, it's really tough to find good talent. Pat Russo said, if you can find the people that have executive intelligence, then the possibilities are endless. But finding them is the toughest thing.
4: How do you diagnose the guy or gal with executive intelligence? Is it the IQ test? Is it aptitude test? How do I identify these people?
5: It's very much about how some people, how somebody comes to the right answer, the best answer for the given situation in real life. So where an IQ test would test someone's facility for coming to the right answer in an academic setting, so solving arithmetic problems or geometric spatial reasoning problems, those are the kinds of problems one faces in school, but they're very different from real life. All the information you need is right in front of you. The right answer is multiple choice. It's one of them right in front of you. They're asking you the question they want you to answer. In real life, things work very differently. Often they're not asking you, they're asking you a question, but the question in itself has problems. It has incorrect assumptions in it, or you have to ask even for more information before you uh, answer the question. You have to know when to ask for more information. Uh, these, all these things happen in a very different context in real life. And executive intelligence is about that, the facility for arriving at the truth given what you know.
4: Well, let's look at Mr. Bill Gates. He's a college dropout. Would he have been diagnosed back in those days to have executive intelligence?
5: It's hard to say that he wouldn't. What executive intelligence is, is a facility for knowing, discovering what you know and what more you need to know to reach a sound conclusion. So there was a, an incident that might help that a few months ago for my wife's third anniversary. My third anniversary, I surprised her with a kitten and i got her this kitten and his name's Andy and he got sick about 3 weeks after we got him and the vet our vet was kind enough to come over to our home and check Andy out our vet said to my wife You've got to take Andy to a a cardiologist i had never even knew those existed by the way <laughs> veterinary cardiologist my wife said why and um the vet said well because Andy has a heart murmur and my wife said well why would i take him to a cardiologist the vet answered well because you want to find out what the heart murmur is my wife persisted. She said, well, what could it be? And the vet said, well, it's highly unlikely. It's extremely rare, and it's highly unlikely he has it, but he may have a congenital heart defect. My wife said, well, if he does, is there anything that can be done about it? The vet said, well, no. And so my wife said, so let me just understand this. You want me to take him to a veterinary cardiologist to find out whether or not he has this disease, which... Uh, it's extremely unlikely that he does. And if he does, there's nothing they can do about it. And it's going to cost how many thousands of dollars, and they're going to have to sedate, put, them, put the kitten under general anesthesia in order to do the tests, which are, in itself is dangerous. And, and my wife says, so let me ask you, if, if it were your kitten, would you do it? And the vet said, well, well of course not. No, I wouldn't bother. And my wife said, so why are you telling me to? And the vet said, well, it's protocol. And what we're talking about, and that's true, by the way, uh, that if you look up the medical books, if a vet sees heart murmur, it says cardiologist, heart murmur, cardiologist. But real life often requires asking questions and digging for the truth, given the practical circumstances which you're in. And that's what executive intelligence
4: is. What confuses the whole issue, in my mind, Justin, is when somebody's got this wonderful personality, a lot of charisma, you know, maybe he or she didn't graduate from the right school to lead some of these giant companies. You've got to maybe be an Ivy League graduate from the right school because the board of directors graduated from that school. Do we get locked in these mindset and put people in boxes because they didn't grow up on the right side of town or they didn't graduate from the right schools? But they've got this personality and this track record of leadership that is pretty admirable.
5: You know, I think that's probably one of the most frustrating things for all of us because job interviews are such a beauty contest. What happens is somebody walks in the room, and I can't tell you how many times I've heard this from boards of directors. Uh, you know, after they see a candidate, they say, well, he just he just looks like a CEO. He walks in and he just is a CEO. And what they mean are all these stereotypes. What they mean is that that person graduated from the right school, is over six feet tall, holds himself with a certain standing. But what we're talking about is finding out whether somebody can do the job, the fundamentals. So getting to the right answer, which is the fundamental responsibility of any CEO. What is our business doing? What should it be doing in order to be successful? What more should we be doing? These are the fundamentals. And that's what executive intelligence is about. Some of these guys, uh, some of these personalities, like Jack Welsh, I interviewed Jack for my book, and he's a huge personality. he has got a, He's very extrovert. He loves to be in the spotlight. Uh, but then some of them are couldn't be more different from Jack. Some of them are very shy, very humble. Jim Kilt of Gillette, he... He's credited as one, being one of our great CEOs the last 30 years. Fortune called him a cranky old man. Uh, he couldn't couldn't be less interested in that. Looking at their interpersonal charisma, how good-looking or attractive as a person they are, is really a mistake. But that's what many boards do.
4: So it's really about that subtle leadership skill, that ability to motivate a team. Because at that level, it's, it's not money. Most of these guys at the CEO level or even at the... They have multi-million dollar net worths anyway, so it's frequently not a question of more money. It's really the ego satisfaction, the value, the contribution they want to make, and the strokes they get from being at those levels. So it really is a more of an inspirational kind of, motivational kind of person.
5: Well, yeah. I mean, you want somebody that can inspire and motivate, and they have to. I totally agree with all you're saying. And it, the question becomes, how does one do that? Because if somebody keeps sending you off a cliff or telling you to go into a situation and then you find yourself in a mess, the company keeps losing or isn't growing. Or if you're a political leader and you you do something, you might be the most likable person in the world, but if you send the country off a cliff in some way, people won't stay motivated and follow you for long. So it's how do you sustain that motivation over time? And that really is about winning, about doing the right thing, about finding out, figuring out the competitive edge over your competitors, what to do that will let you and your people win. And if you keep winning, people will follow you to the end of the earth.
4: My special guest today is Dr. Justin Menkes. He is the managing director of the Executive Intelligence Group and author of Executive Intelligence, What All Great Leaders Have. This book helps businesses find and train people who can perform at the highest levels. It's also a boon for employees who want to enhance their abilities and grow their careers. Justin, we talked last segment about what leadership skills have and the kinds of personalities. Probably the biggest enigma, the biggest mystery to me is Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett is certainly hugely successful, and his claim to fame is he hires great people and leaves them alone.
5: You know, it's amazing. Warren Buffett, some of these people that you look at really know what they're looking for. You know, we're in a competitive world, and it's it's a pie that everyone's fighting for a bigger slice of, a situation where... Some people are, are going to be better at certain jobs than others. They're just more talented. There are only so many Michael Jordans out there, so to speak. Warren Buffett is great at that. Um, so is, uh, there are some people that you just follow. Like uh, It's fascinating to watch Jim Kiltz's career. Jim Kiltz became the CEO of Gillette. He then brought in a team and developed them over the course of a decade. And you watch the, all of those people go on and become these huge CEOs irene rosenfeld is someone to watch she grew up under jim kilts and now she's ceo of Kraft foods and it just watch her career because she is rising so fast and you see rick lenny uh, he's the ceo of hershey foods now and all of them leading tremendously successful companies but jim Kiltz is a, another example uh, like warren buffett of someone who really knows what they're looking for and these people have an exceptional ability to uh, get the job done
4: Bill Walsh, who passed away as a San Francisco 49er coach. At one point, I think there were six or eight of his assistants who were coaches of a football team. So here's a guy who had the leadership skills and motivational drive to lead the team to all those winning seasons. I think it was three Super Bowl wins and concurrently developing a staff that went on to become NFL coaches.
5: It's Really, he's one in a generation this generation uh, being Bill Belichick uh, and his assistants going on, Bill Walsh was a legend and his ability to he had certain facilities that that transformed the game and uh, he 's a great example. He questioned the underlying assumptions of the game i mean that 's one of the key skills one of the key skills in executive intelligence is the ability to look at a market, look at what the assumptions are that people have in the market, and question them and figure out whether or not they 're true because Within that, you can find new areas, the areas for innovation. Bill Walsh was a legend. Steve Jobs is amazing at this, looking at an industry and saying, this is what everyone assumed to be true, but is there a different way to look at this? Because if there is, then you've got it, and you've got the edge.
4: You know, I've seen so many times, as, as you probably have in your studies, while we have some great leaders, sometimes there's a lack of security, lack of confidence, where they always hire people not as smart as them, so it takes a real secure person to hire somebody smarter than you are, even if you have to step back from the limelight. But if the job gets done, that's the bigger dimension of the job.
5: Yeah, this is really probably one of the hardest parts of my job because I was uh, looking for a CEO for a large, very global insurance company, the uh, head of HR, uh, I evaluated these candidates, and one of whom was just extraordinary. I mean, this person was so on the rise and just had such facility for leadership, and the head of HR told me we can't hire him, and uh, and I said, why? And she said, because he'll be way too threatening to the, uh, to the existing CEO, and he won't want him.
4: Justin, in your book, you talk about three kinds of skills successful executives must have.
5: It's amazing because in, in uh, academia and in intelligence in the past, we've sort of tried to s- split it out into subjects. So like an IQ test has a math section, a verbal section, geometry section. But life doesn't happen that way. Life isn't split into subjects. So if you're going to look at someone being effective in the executive arena, you have to look at their facility for doing activities that involve analytics, so asking the right question, looking for the right data, understanding what the data means, and understanding how to work with and through other people. So you can't just ask for data. You have to know how to ask for it, to recognize what underlying agendas or biases the people that are telling you that information might have. So real life is actually much more complex than the laboratory and so what executive intelligence does is identify the skills that work across these dimensions that one has to deal with in real life you have to be a third dimension is not just tasks and people but the third dimension being being smart about yourself because as all this is happening you have to be self-aware and if you're not watching about how you're behaving and what mistakes you might be making that you have to correct in the moment in order to get what you want or need done if you can't do that then you're probably going to make a lot of blunders
4: justin In your book, you call it the evolution of the job interview. How has the job interview kind of changed?
5: What happened was in the early 20th century job interviews, I was reading a guy's dissertation that just struck me because I went into the tombs of the library. I went to the Central Library in downtown L.A. and found this guy's dissertation from 1903. Interested in reading it because he was looking at the validity, the accuracy of job interviews. And this was being done just before the, at the dawn of the Industrial Revolution. I was struck by that. I had to see it. It turns out he was a student of a, a legend. Uh, he's a guy named Spearman. He's the guy who came up with G in the, the, uh, the I concept of intelligence. Uh, IQ uh, was, was his professor. The dissertation student looked at the validity of job interviews and uh, he found that they absolutely were totally inaccurate, that uh, he couldn't even get school teachers very experienced school teachers, to agree on whether students were in the top half of a class or the bottom half through a job interview, whether they were smart or dumb. He couldn't even get them to agree whether they were you know, above or below average. They had no agreement. And that, that went on for about 70 years, where job interviews were consistently looked at for their accuracy and found to be no better than flipping a coin. And then in the late part of the 20th century, they started to figure it out, how to do it more accurately.
4: The other thing that's always a puzzle to me, you see some very, very smart people that are what I call underemployed. You know, how, how many PhDs are driving taxi cabs? Not just a question of intelligence. There's there's intelligence and then there's interpersonal skills that have to kind of grow and social skills have to kind of grow commensurately with those intelligence skills to be able to be effective.
5: What's amazing to me is that intelligence is such a butchered term because the people who actually invented it and studied it were academics. So they defined it in an academic way. So they said, well, who's smart? Well, it must be people that are good at what we're good at, because we're smart. So it turned into something that is only what makes you successful in school. So everyone says, oh, he's really smart, or she's really smart. What they mean is they did really well in school. But actually, it turns out that intelligence is a much more complex phenomenon. It's much more broad than that. Being good at school doesn't necessarily mean the skills that you're good at to make you good at school are not the same skills you need to be good at in other jobs, including being a leader in real life.
4: If you have any questions for Dr. Minkey's, call our toll free number one triple eight Planwise. That's one eight 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 P L A N W I S E, and one triple eight Planwise. That's one eight 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 P L A N W I S E. Dr. Minkey's, thank you so much for joining me today.
2: Oh, absolutely. You've been listening to Don't Invest and Forget with author and investment advisor Pat Fatucci. To gain more information about any of the topics discussed on today's program or to schedule your appointment for a no-obligation financial plan tune-up in one of the area offices of Attucci Associates near you, go to don'tinvestinforget.com. That's don'tinvestinforget.com, Or call toll-free, 888-PLAN-WISE. That's 888 P L A N W I S E, Or visit don'tinvestinforget.com.
1: Program guests and Craig Roberts not affiliated with Vitucci & Associates. Information provided for illustrative purposes only does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information obtained from sources deemed reliable, but accuracy and completeness not guaranteed. Vitucci & Associates have no liability for information discussed. Consult with qualified investment, tax, or legal professional prior to taking action. Securities and advisory services offered through United Planners Financial Services. Member FINRA, SIPC, Vittucci & Associates, and United Planners Financial Services are not affiliated.